More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome everybody to the Monday edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show This is Buck. I'm going to be solo this week. Clay is on vacation in Italy, having a great time with the family. And boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about. The second largest bank failure in U.S. history occurred on Friday. We got a lot of banks right now getting crushed in terms of their stock price. The contagion has spread a bit. Biden saying that your money will be there when you need it. Emergency actions taken by the federal government here, all to prevent the domino effect of banking collapse that could lead to not just a recession, but even a depression. We are not out of the woods. And I think many people are just beginning to understand what the implications of this really are. A lot of finger pointing going on. Oh, it's Trump's fault because of deregulation, they say. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Biden's been president for two years. Why didn't he address the regulations that Trump deregulated? A lot of people also pointing to the wokeness and the obvious left-wing Democrat positioning of the Silicon Valley Bank and the people that run it. And so there's uh, quite a bit of schadenfreude right now as they have blown up their balance sheet. Their bank is... Well, it is kaput, but it has been given a second life now by the federal government. We will discuss all of this, spent much of the weekend looking into everything happening here and and want to talk about where this is likely all going. Uh, Basically, are we in the beginning of a massive financial crisis instead of a contained crisis? Don't worry about it moment. Is this just the beginning? Is this the first domino to fall? We'll discuss this. You also have uh, a massive immigrant horde storming a checkpoint in El Paso, Texas, uh, about a thousand of them, just just making a run for it across the border and a big push. People are starting to say, wait, maybe they're not really asylum seekers. 
Maybe something else is going on here. Yeah, you don't say. And over the weekend, a video went very viral of uh, a Fifth Circuit judge, federal judge Duncan, who was at Stanford University Law School and the Stanford students and a diversity dean, because that's apparently a job that you have to have at all these schools. In fact, many, many people have that job to be the enforcers of DEI, to be the commissars of wokeness. She lectured him and effectively uh, was part of an ambush, a verbal ambush of this federal judge at Stanford University Law School as well. We'll discuss that coming up later on in the program. All right, we, we've got to start with where we are with the banks, plural, you'll notice, because you've had a lot of banks that are having big problems with their stock price right now. You've had temporary trading halts in dozens of banks. Some of them had shares falling 50, 60, even up to 75% when the markets opened at 9.30 a.m. Eastern today. Now, Joe Biden is out there telling everybody that your money is safe. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be fine. This is clip three. Joe Biden telling everybody the government is covering Deposits. Play three. All customers who had deposits in these banks can rest assured. I want to rest assured they'll be protected and they'll have access to their money as of today. That includes small businesses across the country that bank there and need to make payroll, pay their bills and stay open for business. No losses. will. And I want this is an important point. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Let me repeat that. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Okay. Let's just start with basic facts here. This is a bailout. They're they're saying it is not a bailout, but this is a bailout. They're just trying to structure it in a way that it seems less like the the downside here for Silicon Valley Bank is being socialized, right? The upside is all capitalism. We're geniuses. We get to pay ourselves huge bonuses. The downside, the losses are socialized. It's, whoa, this is society's loss. And it's interesting because Silicon Valley Bank had been uh, lobbying for years that it was not necessary for it to have the same stringent uh, balance sheet requirements and risk management requirements because it wasn't a systemically important bank, SIB. Uh, that it was a bank that should be able to operate a little more on the edge. Well, now it has fallen off the edge, and we are told that there has to be the government swooping in. Janet Yellen says there will be no bailout, but that's not really true. Play clip one. Let me be clear that during the financial crisis, there were investors and owners of systemic large banks that were bailed out, and we're certainly not looking and uh, the reforms that have been put in place means that we're not going to do that again but they're kind of doing something similar here's what's here's what's happening and and it's complicated and i know that there are there are a lot of competing narratives a lot of things you're hearing out there first of all um over the weekend the big debate was should you just let the bank fail and should the depositors have to deal with the fact that they now have effectively an IOU beyond the guaranteed $250,000 per account that the FDIC 
uh, ensures that they would have an IOU when the bank assets would be sold or right, what they have been sold. They were selling them at auction effectively. Because once you understand what really happened here, it, it becomes more clear how how it is that this could happen, first of all, at other banks. And also, I think everyone understands the politics that are at work. But effectively, you had the IOUs that they would have instead of. So if you have a million dollars in the bank, right, 750,000 of that is. uh Wait, am I getting that right? Yes. 750,000 of that is insured. Not insured, rather, not insured. So you have two hundred fifty thousand dollars that are insured by the FDIC. Seven hundred fifty k, you're on your own. You'd have some share that the bank's assets, the Silicon Valley Bank, would supposedly pay back to you at some point. You'd recoup the money at some point in time, and that's not good enough because for a lot of small businesses out there that were banking with them, just parking their money with them, they got to make payroll. So that's not going to work. So they need the money. Now, so what is the Fed doing? The Fed is taking onto its balance sheet the treasuries, particularly, that Silicon Valley Bank bought in order to make more yield on the money that it was given, and they're buying it at this point in time, taking onto the Fed balance sheet. So really, the government is, in effect here, stepping in in some capacity, and it is a bailout. I mean, they're going to call it all these different things, but... If it was left to its own devices, you would have to have a liquidation of the bank and, and all the rest. And that would be a problem for a whole lot of people right now. With uh, 200 plus billion dollars of assets, there's a lot of money here that is at stake for people, right? So now you have the, well, why is it that we have a $250,000? People are asking this question over the weekend. There's a lot of questions here, by the way. I mean, this is fascinating. And I haven't even gotten into, is this going to get a whole lot worse? And even if it doesn't get catastrophically worse immediately, what are banks going to do in response to this? Everyone says, oh, they need tighter regulations. You know what's going to happen? Less lending. Oh, gee, that means less credit. What do we think less credit does to the economy? You think that's, you think that's going to be a fun one? The original sin of all of this, the original sin was creating artificially low interest rates, which effectively destroyed the bond market through the machinations of the Fed and the federal government, and then printing trillions of dollars. That's the basis for all of this. That, that's how we even got into the mess in the first place. Now, some people are going to say, Buck, the Jekyll Island in the beginning of the Federal Reserve. Okay, but I, I mean the recent, the recent basis for all of this. The bill is coming due for that. That's what you're seeing right now. It turns out, that if you manipulate the market as a function of government policy, so you have artificially low interest rates, because you're trying to keep stimulating the economy with more and more money, and you're printing, you're putting more money into the economy, and people can't actually get any yield for the money that they're putting into, well, banks, but also bonds. Because those interest rates are so low, you create economic dislocations. You create uh, a market that is inefficient, and that can have both bubbles and collapses. Bubbles and collapses. Doesn't that seem like something we should all pay very close attention to right now? But so over the weekend, there are people arguing this is just a bunch of Democrat fat cat donors who run Silicon Valley Bank. They should bear all of the consequences on their own. And if you're a depositor, too bad. Well, the problem with that is Silicon Valley Bank's not the only one that it seems got on the wrong side of 
investing in treasuries, taking these long-term investments uh, that allow them to get some yield on their on the money that is deposited with them. So they're on the wrong side of this. Like other banks are on the wrong side of this, there's a very rapid run on the bank, $40 billion in one day. People saying, we want our money out, we want our money out. If this happens at other places, then you've got a, 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 not just a financial crisis in the making, you have a financial catastrophe. Because you're going to have people that aren't going to have access to pay bills and pay staff and, and employees right now. And maybe it gets unwound in the next six months or they figure it out down the line. But what happens in the meantime? Job losses, economic destruction, bad things. On the other side of this, there are people who keep pointing out, though. So the way this system seems to work is we say that your accounts are FDIC backed up to $250,000. But really, the banking system is such now that you're unlimited in your, as long as there's a politically potent narrative behind it, you're unlimited in what the government will backstop for you. Right? It's, it's so, so why even have the $250,000 limit for FDIC? Also, kind of an arbitrary number, isn't it? What's that really all about? And when you start to look at this, you see the banking system, a lot of it is based on you know, operating as a big black box, people don't really understand. There are people who are arguing, well, you should lose all of the money uh, that you invested in Silicon Valley Bank because they didn't do, meaning the depositors didn't do the due diligence to know what the bank is really doing. Okay, does anybody do the due diligence before they invest in a bank that is capitalized and FDIC-backed and et cetera? I mean, we got to really think about this. Does anyone do that? Does anyone even know how to do that? I mean, if you told me I had to do due diligence on J.P. Morgan Chase or Bank of America or, you know, Wachovia or what, you know, what is massive banks, where do you start? You kind of assume, and this is the, the bottom line truth of it all, you kind of assume that there are adults in charge and people more or less know what's going on and that it'll all be okay. The whole system is based on trust. That's the whole banking system, really. Ultimately, it's trust. Otherwise, it's numbers on a computer screen. We're not even really trading in hard currencies. You're not even really going to the bank teller anymore. When was the last time you even went to a bank? Not an ATM machine, a bank. And did anything else? You'll say, oh, well, a month ago or six months ago. Okay, some people might say that a few years. So how much due diligence can you really do with all of this? So, you know, there's there's many layers of this. There's what is it going to do to the economy? Big piece, right? What is the Biden administration doing about all of this? And they're a bunch of incompetent buffoons. We know that. Who is going to pay? Who is getting bailed out? How much worse can this get? These are all questions that are still being answered. And and one thing that, that keeps a thought that keeps bouncing around my head on all of this is if you were looking for the match that could start the conflagration of a major recession, a 2008-style recession. A series of bank failures. By the way, it's not just SVB that has failed. There are uh, three of them, I believe, now that have officially failed in the last few days, and a whole lot of other banks are under tremendous pressure right now in terms of their stock price because people are worried about them. 
wouldn't this be if you were if you were war gaming as an economist or somebody who just wants to know where the country's going if you're going to war game how things get really ugly economically really fast and how you could have massive spikes in unemployment and a, a huge depression in real estate prices and just just go down the list all the things all the reset mechanisms in an economy that has been overheated and just full of bubbles if you were getting ready for that or if you thought that was coming wouldn't a series of bank failures be one of the most likely ways that it would begin that's a thought that keeps bouncing around my head i hope it is not true i hope that this is relatively contained and it may be but no matter what it's a reminder of how fragile this whole system is jim kramer was on tv a month ago telling people you know the guy on tv is like hey buy this buy that you know honk honk and he's like playing the noises and the bull noise and everything else he was telling people to buy svb a month ago this is a problem with reliance on experts and adults in the room people are greedy people are fearful people do not want to be held accountable when they make mistakes we'll get into all this by the way if you happen to work in the banking industry and you have some particular insight on this one you've dealt with svb would love to hear from you um 800-282-2882 on the phone lines we'll get back to it in a moment did the daylight savings change uh throw you off this weekend well if you're taking chalk daily supplements low energy is less of an issue this Texas-based company spent years sourcing natural ingredients to help men and women with a variety of issues as we age. For men, their male vitality stack helps restore testosterone levels, which has been, de- been depleted in men the last 50 years. In just three months, you'll start feeling the positive effects and experience an energy potential you haven't had in a long time. That's why the Chalk Male Vitality Stack is so popular. Right now, you can get 35% off any Chalk subscription for life, when you use my name, Buck, on their website. Chalk also offers a female vitality stack for the ladies, which helps with hormone health and collagen production. There are lots of other great products on the website via subscription as well. So go check it out. Head over to chalk.com, C-H-O-Q, chalk.com. Learn about them. All chalk products are lab-tested twice to ensure the highest levels of purity and potency. Chalk, C-H-O-Q.com is the website. Make sure you use Buck as the promo code. You will get it. 35% discount. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Making sense in an insane world. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do is that is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. New York State Department of Financial Services took possession of a New York chartered bank known as Signature last night. While that sounds extraordinary, that is what happens in terms of the transition from a temporary hold by the state and it's immediately turned over to the FDIC. Our view was to make sure that the entire banking community here in New York was stable, that we can project calm, that this is a time when we could manage a certain narrow situation and to make sure that that did not get any worse. Yeah, that's right. The governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, talking about why a New York-based bank there was also taken over by the uh, government and... Kathy Hochul is an imbecile, so is there any reason to believe that she has any idea what the heck should be done here? Just putting that out there, we'll come back to more of the banking crisis situation in just a second. A couple of years ago, I switched my cell phone service from a provider everybody knows and started relying on Pure Talk instead. I made the switch because it made sense. I was able to save more than 50% on my monthly bill and get the exact same quality of service. I live on my cell phone, so I wasn't going to risk making a switch and regretting it. Pure Talk is every bit as good as they say they are. I get nationwide 5G service wherever I am, and my call quality and data delivery are fantastic. When you make the switch, you'll be saving more than 50%. The cost of my cell phone service this past month was about $30. What's yours? Pure Talk is so sure you're going to love their service. They're backing it up with a 100% money-back guarantee. Cut your bill in half with Pure Talk. Just dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, save 50% off your first month. That's pound two five zero. Say Clay and Bach. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Clay and Buck. And we're talking about the banking crisis that perhaps is averted. We shall see in the days ahead. It 
definitely hit harder this morning when trading opened and opened than I think certainly the Biden administration expected or was willing to let people think they expected. Not quite the same thing. Um, they're trying to stop a full-blown financial crisis. One thing that I do believe is very interesting about what happened here in uh, in Silicon Valley Bank is that it, it had invested in, right, and, and this is where we all go back to the, the, the banking 101 stuff, but it had invested in pretty secure stuff, and that's actually what's at issue here, treasury bonds. I think it was 10-year treasuries they were in. But because of all the Fed interest rate swings, they got on the wrong side of it. So their bonds, their 10-year bonds, were worth less. They went below par because of the raise in rates, right? Rates go up, bond value goes down. So that was an issue. That was a problem for them. And then what happened is word got out uh, when they were trying to raise. Silicon Valley Bank was trying to raise $2 billion of capital so that when people are going, they're taking out, you know, 10 grand or a hundred grand, or if they're running a business, you know, payroll, or maybe a million dollars for the month, whatever it is, that the capital would be in the bank to give to the people who were depositors and not force the bank to sell the treasuries, the billions and billions of dollars of treasuries that had invested in for a loss, right? If, because, because they had to take them, if they have to take them out early, Instead of getting a nice, whatever it is, you know, four, four or five percent, uh, they were going to be selling them at a, at a, at a loss. And so there wasn't the money or there wasn't going to be the money for people to take out. Once the word got out about the two billion dollars, and this is another part of it, that spread like wildfire. And, uh, Peter Thiel, who I threw a, a friend tried to reach out to to see if he'd come on to talk to us about exactly all this stuff. And if he, Peter's listening, please do call in. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, he told his investment fund last week, I think it was on Thursday night, this bank is unsteady on the brink of collapse. Take out your money. Well, this word can spread very fast. You've got social media now. You've got Twitter. You've got people who are able to figure out really quickly and so there were lines of people to take out money from the bank right away on Friday. And now, now you got into the debate over the weekend, right? So anyway, that's, that's how this whole thing happened. You had a, a flash run on Silicon Valley Bank as a result of getting on the wrong side of its treasury investments and the result of trying to raise $2 billion to keep enough cash flow in the bank that people could take out the money that they had put into the bank. Uh, then all of a sudden you have a run, right? A bank run is everyone shows up, says, I want my money. The bank says, well, we don't have the money to give all of you. We have money to give you over a period of time at a rate that we expect, but we don't actually have, this is where you get into fractional, you know, fractional reserve banking and, and some of the, some of the problems, some of the, uh, fractures in the fractional reserve approach. And so now this morning we wake up and you've got, you know, First Republic Bank, stock getting crushed. You've got a lot of these different banks, uh, regional banks that are under tremendous pressure in terms of their stock price. So the government says, well, you're, the depositors are, um, are all secure, that there's a backstop. They say it's coming from fees, 
But fees that the banks pay into a fund will just turn into fees that people investing in the or giving money to the banks will end up paying. The costs will be borne by the people. I mean, that's the bottom line of this. Whether it's a Fed balance sheet trick or it's banks paying into an FDIC fund to make sure that there's uh, effectively insurance on the, you know, additional insurance on the insurance, if you will. I mean, whatever, whatever games are going to play on the balance sheet at the end of the day, this will be an expense that is passed well beyond Silicon Valley Bank and some of these other banks. And that upsets people. That upsets Main Street folks. That upsets people that are sitting here saying, okay, so I'm having trouble paying my mortgage. I'm going into credit card debt to, to buy groceries for my family. The people running Silicon Valley Bank not only pay themselves, I'm talking now about the, the executives, right? Not only pay themselves exorbitant fees, in particular for doing riskier stuff, right? These are, there's a venture. They do a lot of business with venture capitalists. There's a venture as in like adventure, component to the way that this bank was operating. So the upside for their geniuses when they're making all this money, right? Oh, we deserve our, you know, our $10 million bonus or I, whatever it is, right? I deserve, and I think it's a lot more than that for many of them, but we deserve the money we're making because we're so smart. And then when they're idiots and they destroy their whole bank, it's, oh my gosh, you better bail us all out or else all the banks are going to go under too. Well, hold on a second. There has to be accountability. And I think that's where for people and a lot of folks are paying attention to this because you're talking regional banks, dominoes falling, depositors being left out in the cold. Everyone's paying attention to this. This matters. When you're talking about someone's money, their life savings, their ability to pay the rent, buy, buy gas and groceries, people pay attention. Where's the accountability? You know, yeah, is there ridiculous stuff out there about how uh, SVB was focused on diversity and inclusion stuff, and some of the people in risk management at the top of the bank are you know, out of the woke academy for lunatics. Yeah, of course that's there too. And is that an indicator, I think, of why this uh, diversity and inclusion obsession at major institutions, it's going to cause problems, whether it's you know for how we hire airline pilots or who's doing air traffic control or who's in charge of train safety just talk to the folks of east palestine about that one or now the banking industry when you elevate for reasons other than basic competency in the field bad things happen so that's a part of this but there's another the, the another layer here is well how do you punish the bank the banksters if you will the people running it who are supposed to be preventing this kind of a thing, how do they get funded? They were selling their stock, by the way, millions of dollars of stock sold by bank insiders at Silicon Valley Bank in just the last 30 days. Oh, gosh. I wonder if they realized they had a problem. Yeah. How is that legal, by the way? Is it? That's another question. But assuming it is, how would that be legal? Think about that. Oh, yeah, no, we'll take your money. We'll take your money. I'm, I, I run the bank, and I'm selling my shares in it. But give us your money. It's fine. There's both a selfishness and an arrogance there because they must know at some level that they will be bailed out. And they're right. But the problem for the people who are saying, oh, but, you know, the FDIC insurance and, you know, whether it's 
insurance for, uh, you know, per depositor. So if it's a husband and wife in the account, it might be more, whatever. It, look, it doesn't cover, the FDIC obviously doesn't cover the range of the $200 billion in assets. Um, that much we certainly know. And people are saying, well, you know, too bad. You didn't do your homework. Your depositor, figure it out. Yeah, you'll get back something. Maybe it's 60 cents on the dollar. Okay. But do people really, when they give money to a bank, do they think that their capital is being deployed in a fashion that is so reckless that they, that now there are times in the past where that's happened and we go back to the Great Depression and we go back to the various stock market booms and, and busts. But we have all these regulations, right? We have government backstopping. That's not supposed to happen. And if you were to say, let the regional bank, this is where it gets more complicated. I know, you know the people that are shouting, this is actually a difficult issue. There's a lot of things happening here. It's not as straightforward as just, you know, oh, well, there's this one issue. There's a lot of issues. Because if you start letting regional banks fail, not only do you probably set yourself up for a depression. I mean, a straight up depression. You know, unemployment gets up to you know, 10, 15 percent on the, you know, in the blink of an eye. I mean, if you start letting regional banks, because you think, you think Silicon Valley Bank is the only one that got on the wrong side of the uh, interest rates and could be subject to a run like this? Clearly not, or at least clearly the market perception is that that's not the case. But what, what do you do then? Okay. Well, you then just pile all the money. Everyone's going to want to move all their money into the systemically important banks, the too big to fail banks. You all know what they are, you know, Bank of America and JP Morgan and et cetera. You go down, do on the list of the, the biggest banks in the country. So is that, is that better? So then we pool all of our money into these mega banks that are in, engaged in all kinds of ESG and other stuff. It's not exactly a solution either, is it? Well, you know, it would have been a better idea all along to allow the market to function as it functions and for and not allow politics to determine artificially low interest rates and um, trillions of dollars of printing. So politicians can make people think they are richer than they are and the economy is better than it is. Cue Joe Biden and his speech this morning, by the way, that's exactly what happened there. But switching gears for a minute, you might be amazed to know that even though uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned last June, the number one killer among infants in this country is still abortion. Abortion continues to take the lives of nearly one million babies a year just in this country alone. The team of people working at the preborn network clinics nationwide are dedicated to reducing that number. They accomplish that mission by providing expectant moms with a free ultrasound that introduces them to their unborn child. Once she hears that heartbeat, her maternal instinct kicks in, and the majority of the time, that mother will choose life for her baby. Since founder Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, started this life-saving ministry 16 years ago, over 200,000 babies' lives have been saved. For just $140, you can introduce five moms to their babies on ultrasound and help rescue five babies' lives in the process. And when you do, you'll receive five stories and five ultrasound pictures of babies saved. Make a tax-deductible donation today to help pay for all these ultrasounds. Using your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, say baby. Or visit their website, preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K, sponsored by Preborn. Download and use the new Clay and Buck app. Listen to the program live. Catch up on any part of the show you might have missed. Stay current with what Clay and Buck are saying on TV. Find the Clay and Buck app in your app store and make it part of your day. 
Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my from this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Clay and Buck. This is Buck, and we're going to be talking in the next hour about this uh, professor out at Stanford. I'm sorry, federal judge out at Stanford um, and the diversity and inclusion dean. Because like I've said, that is a job that is at all the colleges now. You need someone who walks around telling everybody that they are racist unless they abide by the agenda of the left. They're sexist unless they abide by the agenda of the left. Um, it was a real, a real moment though, uh, to see at, remember, this is Stanford Law School. These aren't even, uh, you know, 18 year olds who just woke up from a hangover after a late night at the frat party. And these are people that are supposedly training for careers in the law who are at least 23. Some of as old and well, a lot older, but you know, I think the average age in law school is like 26, 25, 27, something like that. 
So they're older and they act like total lunatic crybabies. I mean, it was appalling, appalling, but it's important that you see it because this is by those rankings that we're not supposed to talk about anymore. Stanford is top three. Some would even say number two in terms of difficulty to get into law school in the country. Yale is famously the most difficult by the numbers to get into law school. And I can tell you, I have met a lot of woke morons who graduated from Yale Law School. I've met them personally. I've come across them. They are not very smart. They are not impressive. They have terrible judgment. And you wonder, how'd you get in here? Oh, right. Okay. Finding a lot more of that these days. And uh, that's the situation. That's what's being shown by everybody uh, or to everybody who saw what happened over at, at Stanford University. So I thought it was worth talking about. Also, Gretchen Whitmer. Gretchen Whitmer, among the worst governors during the COVID, uh, COVID season, seasons, has now kind of admitted, oh, yeah, you know, some of the stuff we did, it was just kind of, you know, arbitrary. Oh, you don't say. You don't say. It just was made up idiocy. Yeah, because some of the things she did are so dumb that it is honestly impossible to defend. And now that she's safely the governor again, because unfortunately, a lot of Single college-educated women in Michigan were terrified they wouldn't be able to abort a baby for all nine months of a pregnancy, so they had to make sure they rallied for Whitmer. And it, honestly, the most incompetent low-IQ governor I think you could you could find in the entire United States, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. And people voted for her, and they feel good about that. I will tell you, though, that there's on the on the bright side, because I love looking for the bright side. I'm a happy guy. Happy warrior over here. On the bright side of things, so much of the Democrat ideological edifice is crumbling right now. It's pieces here and there, but you're seeing it. It's crumbling on issues of crime, on COVID, on gender ideology stuff and transgender stuff for kids and all this. They're losing. That doesn't mean they'll admit it. Doesn't mean they'll change their ways necessarily, but they're losing. It's really... Uh, it's really happening. Um, so, you know, this is, this is why I, I like to keep pushing because I do think the momentum is, is on the side of the sane at this point in time. And as people see more of the results of the policies they get from the Democrat left, they want to go in another direction. By the way, here, I, I thought this was really interesting. Kevin, uh, Kevin O'Leary, went on this is uh from cnn about uh 10 days ago but i wanted you to hear it he was talking about what's going on with the different states like new york and california and how he's a guy who invests in a lot of companies he's mr wonderful from shark tank you uh, no doubt have seen some shark tank it's always on at the gym when i'm at the gym which i think is interesting it's like really anyway um here is kevin o'leary saying that these democrat states are now uninvestable play clip eight where did Amazon take their jobs? They took them away from her. She threatened to sue them if they created jobs. I mean, this is a reality. This is a reality that there's a little more to it, but let's not relitigate well, that. Well, you know, sorry, I'm just telling the truth. He's saying what a lot of people are saying, especially what happened with that Amazon thing here in New York. Just real quickly, but I don't want to hug the conversation. But what, what was Elizabeth Warren's response when you said that to her? Look, I have a lot of respect for her because it's okay to have a debate about politics, but not policy. When you have punitive policy, 
you're making a mistake. And I want to just put up my hand and say, I don't agree, Senator, with your policy. I respect you as a politician, a very successful one. You know, she's very successful. And that's the state where I grew my kids. I mean, our family grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. We left there to move to Florida like everybody else is because it's such a tough place to, you know, this is a tough message. People really are critical about this, but somebody has to call it out because this is a competition of states now and we don't put money there anymore. We put it in other places and jobs are created elsewhere. Over time, this is gonna diminish New Jersey, diminish New York, diminish Massachusetts and California out of business, out of business, El Morte, no business there. You can't do business there. I don't know what that place is gonna turn into, maybe a tourist zone, but no business. Imagine San Francisco, you can't even walk at night out in the street. A competition of states, you'll notice something. The states that are losing the most, the bluest. The states that are gaining the most, the reddest. We are winning, my friends. Don't forget that. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 